I greet you in the high and holy name of Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord. Our scripture lesson today from 1 Samuel chapter 1 is so appropriate for Mother's Day because it tells us about a remarkable mother named Hannah. If you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant but give her a son then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head as she kept on praying to the Lord Eli observed her mouth Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving but her voice was not heard Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went home back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So, in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I have asked the Lord for him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord. As surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I ask of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated and let us pray. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Give us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. Today we celebrate Mother's Day and the festival of the Christian family. As Melody reminded us, each of us has a mother. A mother chose to birth us, thank the Lord. 
And then afterward, in an overwhelming majority of cases, a mother administered to us about as pure a form of love as this world can know. Somebody has said that a mother grizzly bear defending her cubs is the most fearsome mother on earth. But in terms of tenure and tenacity and intelligence, that grizzly mother cannot compare to a human mother. Just a week ago, a little more than a week, on national television, our own United States Senator, Tim Scott, credited his success all the way from cotton to Congress to the grace of God and a powerful mother. Some years ago, New York Times did a study of uh, jobs in America, the labor scene, and they concluded that being a mother was the most demanding vocation in America. They said that it involves at least 17 different job skills, including psychologist, nutritionist, financial manager, conflict mediator. And they said, based on all the skills required, the annual salary for a mother ought to be $500,000. Moms, you are underpaid. One charming fact about mothers that drives school teachers up the wall is that it's very hard for them to be objective about their children. Their heart <laughs> overwhelms their vision. And, and that's the reason that mothers have such problems with umpires at Little League baseball games. Yes. Because when her little Johnny slides in home, he's always safe. I don't care what the umpire says. Someone shared with me the following story about a good mother. This mother had a little boy, six years old, Timmy, first grade. And the school was only about three blocks away, so she walked him to school every morning. Now, Timmy noticed that older boys were not being escorted by their mothers. So he said, Mom, would it be okay if I walked to school with my friend Bob? Well, Mom understood, so she reluctantly agreed. She had a neighbor just a few doors down the street named Shirley Goodnest, and she knew that Shirley had a little baby daughter, Marcy, and that every morning she would walk Marcy in the stroller about the same time that the boys went to school. So she asked Shirley, would you be willing to surreptitiously follow the boys to school, but at a distance so that they won't know, and just keep an eye on them? Shirley agreed. Five or six days later, Timmy and Bob are walking to school, and Bob said, Timmy, have you noticed this woman keeps following us to school? Timmy said, yep. I know who it is, and she's going to keep on following us. Bob said, why? Timmy said, the Bible says so. What do you mean the Bible says so? Timmy said, well, last summer, my mother had me to memorize the 23rd Psalm. And right there, the 23rd Psalm says, Shirley Goodnest and Marcy shall follow me all the days of my life. <laughs> now, the moral of the story is that it's good to have your child memorize Scripture, but it is important to explain the Scripture that they are memorizing. 
In addition to being Mother's Day, it is also the festival of the Christian home. So we are honoring and trying to encourage all of those who have a chance to influence children. Parents, grandparents, teachers, coaches, counselors, and many others. Tucked away in an obscure part of the Old Testament is the story of a remarkable mother named Hannah. Let me set the scene for you. Hannah and her husband Elkanah had a beautiful relationship, but there was just one problem. They were unable to have children. In biblical times, a woman's value was based on her ability to have sons. And because Hannah could not have children, she carried a heavy burden. One of the blessings of living in America with our Judeo-Christian heritage is that a woman's value does not depend on her marriage or her ability to have children. Indeed, some men and women find fulfillment with God in the single life. And then there are some couples who choose not to have children, and that's okay. They can serve God in other ways. One day, Elkanah found his wife, Hannah, crying over her inability to have children, and he made the kind of comment that gains the reputation for us males sometimes as being insensitive. He said, why make such a fuss of having no children? Isn't having me better than having ten sons? Obviously, he did not have an ego problem. <clears throat> Hannah went to the temple and made a vow. Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son. Then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. The Lord granted her request. She became pregnant. She had a son named Samuel, which means ask of God. Hannah and Elkanah loved and guided the boy until he was three or four years old. Then they took him to the temple to live with the old priest, Eli. His parents visited him periodically, and indeed at the annual religious festival, they probably spent several weeks with him, and every year Hannah would bring him a new robe, rejoicing over the growth that had occurred in the previous year. But Hannah and Elkanah understood that the boy belonged to the Lord. God did great things with Samuel. He became one of Israel's greatest prophets. And it was he who took a vial of oil one day, following God's command, and anointed a shepherd boy named David to be king of Israel. Hannah knew three great truths that all of us parents and grandparents should remember. First, every child is a precious loan from God. No, I didn't say gift, because that might convey that we own the children. We do not. The child is made in the image of God. God is the creator and the owner of the child. We are his deputies, his assistants in the rearing of the child. Yes, we parents have a role to play in the creating of babies, but God forms that child in the womb. Isaiah the prophet referred to God as, He who made you, who formed you in the womb. 
And God said to Jeremiah the prophet, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Since God creates every child, this means that all lives matter, including black lives and including the lives of unborn babies. Every child is unique and precious. Now, this may be hard to remember sometimes when the kid has spilled his milk three times in the same meal, when, uh, when uh, your two-year-old throws a tantrum at a department store, or when your son's drums trigger your headaches. Maybe hard to remember. The writer Tony Campalo says that we all could take lessons from Jewish mothers. They are forever telling their children how special they are, what great abilities they have, wonderful futures they're going to have. Two Jewish mothers meet on the street one day. One of them says to the other, what lovely children you have. How old are they? Other mother says, the doctor is five, the lawyer is three. <laughs> it's no wonder that the Jews have produced more Nobel Prize winners than any other ethnic group because they're always teaching the children uh, how wonderful they are and what their great capacities are. What a challenge it is to treat a child as special and unique without spoiling or indulging him or her. Dear parents, remember to say the special things that can transform a child's life. The three words, I love you, are incredibly powerful and can hardly be spoken enough. Let your child know that he or she is very special. Second truth we learned from Hannah. We have much to teach our children and so little time. Hannah had, Hannah had Samuel just three or four years. Now the experts tell us that many of the most important lessons we can teach our children are learned by the time they're six years old. So much to teach in terms of value, wisdom, faith, and so little time. Some years ago I noticed a particular family in my church was missing. Previously they had been very faithful attenders, but they weren't there. So I... I made some discreet inquiries and I found out that their son, who was nine or ten years old, was an excellent soccer player. And the soccer league in which he participated had decided that their games would be on Sunday morning. So the family had a decision to make. Should it be Sunday school in church or soccer? They chose soccer. Just think of the tragic lesson that child learned about priorities. Just imagine how hard it would be for that child to unlearn that lesson later and allow Christ and his church to come first in his life. We parents must monitor what our children see on television and how they use the internet because the pagan values of our culture threaten to overwhelm the Christian values we teach at home and in, at church. It was so sad to see a recent news report, I'm sure you saw it, about a teenage girl who went on a profane Twitter rant because she had not been selected as a cheerleader. 
that profane Twitter rant went viral and her reputation was ruined. We must remind our children that every word they post on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram can literally go around the world. There's so many lessons we have to teach. We must teach them the differences among persons can be interesting rather than divisive. We must teach them that when courage overcomes fear, we feel so much better afterward. But when fear overcomes courage, oh, the aftertaste is bitter. We must teach our children that the content of the character is much more important than the color of their skin. In fact, their skin color makes them no better or worse than anybody else on earth. We must teach our children that the Bible is God's unchanging truth in an ever-changing world. We must teach our children to laugh with other people but not at them and to always respect the feelings of other people. We must teach our children to appreciate God's earth, good, His good earth and all the creatures in it and to be good stewards of all of it. We must teach our children that failures need not be terminal. That life is a long distance race that rewards persistence. And most importantly, we should tell our children how and when we came to know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and Lord. So much to teach and so little time. Some of my fondest parenting memories come when, from the time when our boys were preschoolers, little fellas. Each evening, my wife usually took charge of bathing the boys. I did it a couple of times, but my wife said that I let them play too much and ended up with water all over the bathroom. So she did most of that. But then if I was home, I took over afterward. First, I would read them one of those little storybooks that they liked so much. I became very close to Dr. Seuss and Curious George and, and, and all the rest of them. I, I remember reading countless times about the little train engine chugging up the hill. I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. Then I would read them a Bible story from their children's Bible as the boys looked at those brightly colored pictures. And then we would pray. I would pray first, then they would pray. Then I would kiss them goodnight and say, I love you, son. And then just before I turned out the lights, occasionally I said, and I wish I'd said more, something like, you are a mighty special, son. I am so lucky to be your dad. The single most powerful memory that a child can have is to be able to say, from as far back as I can remember, I heard my parents say my name in prayer. With a spiritual legacy like that, it's almost impossible for that child to stray away from Christ for very long. Let me share a third truth that Hannah teaches us. Parental success is working yourself out of a job. Now, somebody has said that the joy of motherhood is the feeling a woman gets when all her children are in bed. 
Well, but real success as a parent comes when you have helped a child transfer his primary dependence from you to Almighty God. Listen to Hannah's words about her beloved son Samuel. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord. There are some parents in America who consider themselves model parents. And they give their children everything that money can buy. You know, the best of clothing, uh, medical care, food. They buy them the latest toys. They attend their recitals, their little league ball games. But in many of those homes, children seldom, if ever, hear their parents speak their name in prayer. In many of those homes, children never hear parents read to them from the Bible. And in many of those homes, church has no primary place in their lifestyle. What does it profit a child to attend Harvard University and earn a million dollars before he's 30 years old if in the process he loses his eternal soul? What can the world possibly give to a child that would make up for the absence of God? If you're a parent, you know that the process of turning loose a child begins as soon as he or she is born. You know, first, the baby learns to stand alone and then to walk. He goes to nursery school for a couple of mornings a week, then to kindergarten, then off to first grade. He gains the right, he gains the right to bicycle farther and farther from home. He spends overnights with grandparents and then he goes off to summer camp for a week. Before long, he learns to drive. And then his parents' blood pressure and insurance go up. And with the mobility provided by car, then the turning loose process accelerates. That's the way life is. We are forever releasing our children to greater and greater freedom. The best thing you can do in parenting is to help your children gradually transfer their primary dependence from you to Almighty God. Success for parents is working yourself out of a job, producing a young adult who is utterly God-dependent. That's what Hannah did, and that is our calling too. No person is more important in this transfer than a good mother. I am not a bit offended by this Spanish proverb. An ounce of mother is worth a pound of clergy. Indeed, it was a minister who on a Mother's Day paid his own mother this great tribute. She practices what I preach. Some time ago, I discovered a prayer written by a man named Dwayne Zimmerman. It could be called Hannah's Prayer. It's on your screen now, and I invite you parents and grandparents to pray this prayer out loud with me. Let us pray. Lord, it's so hard to let my children go to life 
to suffering to you. I give them over to you, Lord. Bend down to them. Take care of them. Give good things to them. In the name of Jesus, your perfect gift to the world. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.